Rock Harbor. Good to see everybody this morning. Everybody got new books? New books, everybody? All right. Page one in our study guides, the Savior's coming foretold. Central truth is the prophets foretold the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, Savior. And, you know, we've talked about this before. The lesson will dabble in it and go in a couple different directions. Um, but we knew that, we know that that was um, what the Jews were looking for was, uh, was the coming of a Savior. And obviously, the way they viewed it was different than it, you know, what they wanted and what they viewed as being a Savior was different from what uh, they actually got. And that was always a bit of, um, I guess a, it was a, a steep learning curve for them to understand what, you know, the difference between what their expectation was as to what they had actually gotten. They wanted an on-earth king savior, uh, someone who uh, would rule, you know, you know, and dominate. Um, we're not a lot different than that. Um, the way God goes about doing things is obviously completely different in, in a lot of ways than what we you know, what we uh, desire. Um, I can think of a lot of situations that, you know, I, I wished it were different. And I, you know, I always think, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever had kind of an expectation about something uh, that was going to happen, uh, maybe even on a governmental front? And you, you're praying and you're desiring and you're wanting and, and you're just believing God. You're believing God. I always hear people do that. So I'm believing God's going to do this and I'm believing God's going to do that. And then it don't happen. And then people are left with like confusion. It's like, well, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why we're in this situation. Well, I mean, you just go back to the the way the prophetic word that was coming forth and what their expectation was. And for thousands of years, people have always wanted their version of God to be this dominating type force that just kind of dominates everybody and makes them do the right thing. And from what I can tell, ever since the beginning, it's never been about making anybody do anything. It's always been about choosing, which is the kicker right there. I mean, that's like the, uh, the hot topic choice. It's choosing to serve him. And that's what he's always desired from us is you're going to have to choose this day whom you're going to serve. You're going to have to choose. That's the way it's going to happen. And so I, I look back all the way from, you know, in Old Testament and in the, in the prophecies in what their expectations were. This is why it was so hard to them to actually to see who Jesus really was, because he didn't show up the way that they were expecting. They sure enough didn't expect him to come uh, in, in through humility. Uh, that, that wasn't really what they were expecting. They were expecting glorification and, and uh, to roll out the red carpet. And basically, he came in the back door, so to speak, and, and, and come in hidden and humble and poor. And that's not what they were wanting. And I think sometimes, I really do, I think sometimes people's version of, of, of God and version of, of um, expectations and prayers, sometimes we get off base. Sometimes our, our expectations and our prayers don't actually line up with the Word of God. And, and we're not so different from them in the way that sometimes we just wish that God would just appear on the scene, dominate the scene. Don't you ever wish that you could just say, ha, I told you so. I t <laughs> Sean's the only one that's going to be honest with me. 
and and I mean it in the context of, I mean it in the context of, I told you this God thing was right, didn't I? Now, see there? See, yeah, there's going to come a day that we're all going to stand before the Lord, and, and I think that, I, I, I think considering the encompassingness of who God is and as a whole, and who we're standing in front of, I don't think anybody's going to go, ha, I told you so. I think you're going to be concerned about your own cup of tea and what you've got to deal with in, in your situation. And I don't think anybody's going to say, ha, see, now, now, where are you at now? I don't, I don't think anybody's going to say that. And it's interesting to me that that's not even what God wants. If that's what God wanted, he'd have done it multiple times over the last 2,000 years. He'd have made sure of it. Ha, gotcha. What's the saying now for kids? Got him. No, that is not the way God operates. But it's funny because we still think that. We still think along those lines. We want God to show up and show those politicians who's boss. <laughs> Hadn't happened yet, guys. He still lets people choose and, and make decisions. And whether it takes them into an endless pit or whether it, it, uh, it draws them closer to him. He allows us to make the choice. Sean and I have had a lot of conversations about that, and and uh, Sean even mentioned it uh, recently. It's something that's been on his heart is the power of choice, and uh, I I definitely think that it, it you know a, a certain season in my own personal life, the power of choice is everything. Yeah. It was given to us a long time ago, and, and we've got to make good decisions for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, so under let's get started. He says the first four lessons of this quarter focus on Advent, a word often used to refer to the Christmas season. The coming of Christ was not a spur-of-the-moment decision that God made when he sent his Son into the world. He had planned this pivotal event from the very beginning of the world. <coughs> planning. You know, we talked about that actually a couple weeks ago. There was a lot of planning that went into this. Planning. It wasn't just like, yeah, I'll just send my son, that'll fix it. No, it was. there was a lot of things that went along with that. No matter what your family traditions are for celebrating Christmas, it is important that the focus is placed on Jesus and his purpose for coming into the world. To be the Savior who would provide freedom from sin. Yeah, because for Christians, this is our holiday. Can I say that again? For Christians, this is our holiday. This is it. Uh, It's customary among Christians to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which it should be celebrated. Customary. Uh, There were a lot of customs uh, among the Jews that were cultural. This is one of ours. Now, I'm not going to skip through and, and start giving you history on, on where it became commercialized and, and how everything began to change. I don't really care about that. And the reason I don't care about that is I don't really care what it means to anyone else. I just know it needs to remain important to me. Amen. Because it's easy for us to get off and start looking at what everyone else is doing and say, well, y'all need to be doing it this way and y'all should be doing it that way. I don't care. I care about what the Christian does. I care about what I do with it. That's important because it's mine. The birth, of, the belief in the birth, in the death, in the burial, and the and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's mine. And, and you shouldn't be upset that the world doesn't see it your way. And I learned this a long time ago. It's like y'all, y'all, have, y'all have changed this whole thing. Yes, they did because they're worldly. That's that's what they do. And so it shouldn't upset you too much because that was the what they were going to do with it anyway. What, did you expect them to keep talking about Jesus and, and lifting him up? No. 
they were going to make it their own and they were going to turn it into something else and commercialize it. And, and the thing about it is, is that Christians are the ones that need to get a hold of the holiday and remember what it's about. It's, it's Christianity that needs to re-grasp it. I mean, I'm talking about going out and training somebody. Sometimes I don't know if Christians have any right to even say that they're going to, these people need to, we need to tell them what this thing's all about. We don't even know what it's about sometimes. Sometimes we get lost. Can we agree with that? Amen. And I'm all for festivities. I'm all for the, the customary things that we do. I enjoy it. I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's, it's that as Christian, as a Christian, I have to make sure I hold close to me the history of this, this holiday, what it means to me, and what it represents to me, and that that still remains truth to me. That that still remains truth to me. And, and I don't mean to, listen, I don't mean to make that sound disrespectful, and I hope that you don't take it that way. But I honestly think that we, we, we really need to stop caring about what everyone else is trying to do with it, and we need to make it special to us. Yeah. We need to make it special to us. Um, in Romans 5, 12 through 21, Paul explained how Adam brought sin into the world, and it, with it, death and condemnation to all. Paul also said everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. We all fall short. However, through Christ, we have redemption from sin. This is the good news concerning Christ's coming, which is the fundamental piece of the puzzle that you and I witness with. That's it right there. That's the fundamental piece right there. The good news. What is the good news? The good news is that we don't have to live in sin, and without Jesus... We are lost. That's fundamental. That's that's. If you think about it, it's very easy to use that as a as a uh, as a witnessing tool. I mean, I'm not saying you have to get in debates with people, and and it's. I'd almost say at times it's it's very difficult uh, to speak to people on that because people have a completely they have a different mindset about things today. It, it, it is difficult difficult at times. Number one, we have to be willing to live it out properly. You have to be willing to live out the life of Christ in front of people. You have to do that. It's something that is our, um, I'll say responsibility, but it even goes farther than that. I mean, there's really, I mean, there's nothing else for you and me. I mean, what are we doing with our lives um, if we're not living them for Christ? I mean, if we're go we come in and we come to church on Sunday and we come to Sunday night and some people come on Wednesdays, that's not Christianity. That's just a byproduct of our belief system. Right? So, I mean, if, if, if we can agree that church is simply a byproduct of what we do as believers, then what do we do? We should be living it. That's like the main focal point, like the centerpiece of our witness for people is we actually live it out. It is not going to church alone. It's not. And it's, it's kind of a... That's kind of a touchy subject, too, because people will defend the value of going to church. I defend the value of going to church, absolutely. I defend that. I defend, I defend the fact that we need to be here and we need to be amongst brothers and sisters. You've heard me defend it before. You've heard Pastor talk about it before. But this is not Christianity by itself. It's not. It, it's, it's not alone. It does, it does not hold that kind of power. How we live. For the one we believe in does. 
So does that at the same time constitute going to church? Yeah, it kind of does. You kind of look at it in reverse. So can we agree this morning that our witness is important? It's major. It's not just, I mean, yeah, everything. It's, there's a major aspect of this that comes down to that. And realizing that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you, if you think about it like this, if you wonder sometimes, how do I, how do I witness properly if I, if I come into a confrontation or I come into a situation where we bring up, maybe church comes up, or maybe, maybe I invite somebody to church. How, how, do, I, how do I go about doing this? I, this right here, you mentioned before, fundamental. You've got to remember that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all have the same condition <coughs> until we find Christ. We all have the same condition. We're all in that same boat. I like using that in that in that instance because that puts us all on the same playing field. It doesn't put one up above another, right? So we should be able to empathize with people who don't get it, right? We should be able to empathize because you were there once. You were in a place where you did not have him. You were headed to hell. And then he rescued you, didn't he? Amen. Amen. He pulled you out. He cleaned you up. You remember the process. Um, I think that we just have to remember when we are in the process of actually communicating that to people that everybody's experiences are different and they're probably not going to get saved the same way that you did. Probably not going to happen that way. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to plant some really small seeds in somebody's life, and then they're going to leave your life. And you shouldn't feel guilty about not reaping, sowing and reaping the whole thing in one go. You just got to make sure that you're doing it correctly in front of them. That way they have something to take with them. That way when they talk about you, they remember who you were. Oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember her. There was something... There was something about them. They always talked about God, and they mentioned God. I always noticed that they always said, God bless you. They was always into that thing. They was, they was into that church stuff. That's kind of the thing that you want. You want it to be a lasting effect on people. That's a good witness. It's, it's very important. I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. Throughout the Old Testament, his coming was foretold by the prophets and foreshadowed by the Old Testament sacrifices. Okay, there's type and shadow. We talked about that. I'm not going to go into that. Type and shadow, though. Ver, uh, page two. Scriptures. Let's read you good, brother. Bless you. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. I understand. Haley, go ahead. Genesis 3 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruits looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will fall on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Isaiah 7, 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 9-6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. 
the passion and commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Luke 18, 31. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the prediction of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. Acts 13, 32. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us. Their descendants follow in Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. Thank you. Okay. Part one, we need a savior. We need a savior, don't we? We need a savior. Um, we're un- we're completely undone people. There's not one good thing about us, uh, uh, humanity in itself. Just absolutely in need of a savior. Don't ever forget that. Uh, don't don't ever get you know. Don't ever get it even to a place spiritually where you think you've become anything at all because of something that you did. Because there's not one thing that you've done on your own. Everything was allowed and directed by God Himself. And you are where you are at today because he's allowed it. Um, that's a, it's sobering. It's powerful. Um, it's effective. I mean, there's just there's so much about that topic. And, and when we start talking about needing a savior, it really does break me down as a person and really make me think about you know what I'm thinking as as a Christian and and where do I think? How do I think I got here? And where was I going before this? You know we. We're really bad about that at times. I mean, we're bad, we're bad about forgetting where we came from. We're bad about forgetting about how bad it was before and what we were involved in and what we were engaged in. Sometimes we forget that. That's why I always tell you it's good to remember. And, and I know some people will debate that and disagree with that. No, I, I just think it's good because it keeps you away from it. It really keeps you away from it. You think, man, that was really bad back then. I don't know. I'm not going to go back through that door because, you know, temptation's always around, right? The enemy likes to throw them at you, and the flesh likes to try to go back and do old things again. I mean, it's just it's the flesh. So uh, the fact that we need a Savior is always uh, something that keeps, keeps me awake, keeps me from going to sleep. Satan makes sin look pleasurable, but does not show its results. I don't, I don't even think I have to talk to you this morning about how much our society loves pleasure and how it's upsetting to me. Um, it's upsetting to me, but then again, I'm also very careful about being too upset and being overly emotional because I might just be hypocritical. You with me? I might just be hypocritical because it's easy for me to sit here up here and tell you that, of course, we look around our society and our society is in love with pleasure. And it's one of the things that's actually caused us to deteriorate as a society. There are a lot of things, yes, but pleasure is definitely one of the main things that has completely crunched our society and sent us down the path. The seeking after and the constant looking for pleasure. Constantly. And we're walking into some stuff now as far as technology is concerned. I mean, <laughs> they got it now. Everybody familiar with the metaverse? You've heard of it? All right, so Crash Course, basically it's an alternate reality that you can go and live 
They put a headset on you, and you live in this. I've actually seen some videos where people have lived in the metaverse for weeks. Weeks. Not in reality. Not here. They were in another place. And that alone, right there, that alone is disturbing. Not, not a game. We're not talking about a game. We're talking about living in a place that they design themselves and they get whatever they want. Now, that's some disturbing stuff. That right there is like the pinnacle of perversion of, of desiring pleasure at whatever level we can get it. And, and I, the reason I mentioned hypocritical is because, no, I don't live in the metaverse, and I never will. Never going to do it. Never going to be a part of that, that, that business. But the thing about it is, is that we have to call ourselves out our, ourselves to make sure that we are not joining the, the, the hordes of people that are flocking, continue to flock to untouched, or I said that wrong, to unlimited amounts of pleasure. Because that's not realistic. It's not realistic to always have to have pleasure in front of you 24-7. Doesn't make sense. Whether it be drugs, whether it be sexual, whatever it is, it should not be that way. And the, and the, the, the reason I say that, I'm calling you back again. you got to make sure that you're not falling into that group and being the type of person who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but yet we're still addicted to aspects of pleasure that we refuse to let go of. Like, you know, hoarding it up. Like, i got to have that. I cringe at things that I think or even say, i got to have that. Ooh, recheck that. You got to have it. You might want to check that again. And I'm not talking about taking care of your health necessarily, unless, of course, you're dabbling in things that do give you pleasure to relieve certain things. Our society is starting to hide behind labels, and it scares me. I'm, I'm being honest with you. Do you understand I'm being honest with you? It scares me. That our society is hiding behind labels now for the sake of pleasure. I mean, they're they're there's a they're working on um, taking marijuana to the place where it's um, what's the term I'm looking for? Yeah, Just do it whenever you want. Where are we going with this pleasure? I mean, <laughs> but you y'all knew that it was going to open that door. You see, you cracked that door open, and we're going to go through it. And now we're at the precipice of the next phase. And so I'm not going to get into all the details, but see, it's, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope with jobs. It's a slippery slope with people trying to hire people. It's a slippery slope once you make that recreational, and you just decide to do whatever you want with it. Because if you think that's the only thing that's coming through the door, you're wrong. There'll be something else next. There'll be something. We're going to add this to it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to relay this to you in the kindest way possible, but make sure you understand where I'm coming from. Our society is steeped in pleasure, and it, it is disturbingly attached to it. Like, you better not try to take that from me. I'll get angry, and I'll get violent. Christian people, what has happened to us? What has happened to us? 
point that there are no longer terms to define it, you better identify it. There you go. That's a good way to put it. And that's what we're at. And it's like, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't have a term. Now let me give you a let me let's go to the other end of the other side of the spectrum. I was looking at some photos yesterday. 1938. Tent revival. Oklahoma. Large. And you can actually purchase high resolution pictures of people slain in the spirit. And these people in 1938 pictures. In the I mean, they got the garb on and everything. I mean, this is not a reenactment. This was real. And you can see people just worshiping and people laying down on these on, on the dirt floors because they were tent revivals. They were really big. And and I'm I'm trying to figure out how we went from that in 1938 to an addicted society that will become violent if they can't have their dose of pleasure. Whatever whatever happened to God being the only thing that we needed? Now listen, I'm not trying to be personal with anybody. You guys got your own lives. You got things that you do and it's none of my business what you do. I'm simply here to tell you that there is something disturbing about the d amount of pleasure that we have in our society today and the fact that people can't turn loose of it. That should disturb you. That, that should disturb you. It should, it should, that should be something that wakes us up and makes us think twice about what we're, what we're doing and what we're engaging in and that maybe, just maybe, we've taken an alternate path. Maybe something that's not... Um, that shouldn't be. Okay, so he can uh, he convinced Eve that God was withholding something good from her. She thought the fruit would make her like God, so she and Adam would be their own God. Eve ate the fruit and offered it to her husband. The fact he was with her may indicate that he had stood silently by while Satan had deceived Eve. That's a possibility. I mean, they've talked about this before, and. Um, his job, you remember what his job was? What was his job? Taking care of the Taking care of the garden. garden yeah. He was the defender also of the garden. That's what he was there for. Well, if you don't do a good, good job defending, then what's possibly going to happen? You're going to have an infiltrator. I always thought that was interesting, too, that his job was actually to tend to the garden and to take care of it and to guard it. And I thought, guard it from what? obviously, that there was an enemy out there looking to try to get in. Don't, don't you understand that this has not changed? This has not changed. When you got saved, think about it like this in, in this context. When you got saved, God created a garden where you and him fellowship. Can we, can we say that's true? You and him fellowship in this garden. The enemy will try to infiltrate that garden to stop the fellowship from taking place because he knows it's detrimental. So he'll use whatever means possible. And you know what's funny about this is that what did, what did the enemy do? He went after the very thing that God said don't touch. So it's kind of like that in our own personal lives. God says, hey, don't touch that. And then we look at it and we spin it and we try to figure out how we can touch it and not make it a bad thing. Label it. That labels. That, that's exactly where I was going. We'll, we'll, we'll rename it, and we'll flip it. And we'll say, okay, it's not as bad as it was before. Do, you not, do we not see that this is Satan's tactic, and it's been his tactic for centuries? Amen. And it's worked. 
It's worked. It's it's it, it worked. No credit to him, but it worked. And and uh, I always feel like my how do I say this? My calling. I mean, I've got my own issues that I, I deal with and that I struggle with, and, and Nathan and I have talked about this before. But I, I feel like my, my calling is to make sure that I relay everything to the church that I possibly can that could damage or hurt you. Like as raw as I possibly can be because we need the truth in front of us. And pastors talked about this before. I have been hurt so bad spiritually speaking, of things that I had revelated to me that I was doing wrong. And I conveyed it to you, and you didn't even really probably realize that I was going through that. But I conveyed it to you because I learned a lesson that changed my life. And I was like, hey, I need to make sure the church gets this information. Y'all need to know that's some bad stuff. Y'all need to know that's a don't touch. Y'all need to know that the enemy is trying to come in the back door, and this is what he wants to do. This is exactly the same operation that he's been doing for thousands of years. Is trying to convince God's people that it's okay to touch something, to touch something that they've been told not to touch. Yeah. Has not changed. And see, everybody's life is different. I mean, we've all got fundamentals down, but see, everybody's individual life has something that God has said, don't touch. And see, you only know what that is. I can't, I cannot bring you and say, hey, look at this. You have to look at it yourself, and you have to decide when it's time to put it down and when it's time to keep it in your hands. Be sure it hits against the bad for pleasure for some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't pleasurable, you wouldn't want to do it. Right. So it's got to be pleasure. That's a common. That's a common thing. It's got to be a pleasurable thing because when Eve looked, when he, she was reintroduced to the tree again, because she she had wrote it off, was obedient, and then she re-looked at it. And it looked pleasurable. It was good. It looked good for, you know, take, partake in. David looked again, too. Yeah. David looked again, too. Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm not trying to say it's... It ain't easy. But it is predictable. <laughs> it ain't easy. But it is predictable. It's going to happen the same way. Okay. That's some good, this is some good information that, that this lesson is bringing to us. Okay. Um, Adam and Eve soon discovered the results of their sin because there's always results their eyes were open giving them a new awareness of themselves everybody say awareness awareness Awareness. gave them a new awareness of themselves do you remember what their awareness was their awareness was that they were naked all of a sudden they had this awareness they were like whoa something's wrong something's not right here now why would why was that wrong? Well, it wasn't before, but see, now shame came. And now that shame is present, now it takes on a whole new meaning. Everything is, has changed dramatically. So there's this awareness of themselves that they are now, spiritually speaking, not in the same place. They're not in the same place. i got to keep going here. But this was not the wonderful picture Satan had painted. Remember, what did he say? He said, you, he knows, God knows if you do this, you'll be like him. So what's the first thing that came was shame. Oops, it's not what we thought it was. Where's the God part? Where's the heaven? Where's becoming smart and intelligent like him? No, that wasn't what came. Shame. 
second one, they hid themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they hid themselves. I, I don't think it mentions that. Um, but yeah, why are you hiding? I mean, if you're an equal now and you've got this this vast knowledge that's been promised to you, why are you hiding? The the behavior always proves it, church. It always proves it. Okay. What God created as good and beautiful became shameful. It was tainted. They tried to hide their shame, but they could not hide from God. Um, okay. Here's, here's where we're at today. We are also living in a society with no shame. Mm-hmm. See, they, they, they were shamed. They were like, okay, this is bad. We've done something bad. We've gone past the point now of that, and now we're at a place now where there is no shame. None. Like, what does that mean? Well, it means that, we're going to go back to, you know, go back in the early 1900s and and the uh, conversations that were had. And um, um, I was listening to an interview with, um, I can't remember his name, but anyway, he was talking about when, um, you know, these uh, these stand-up comedians would uh, these, they would go and do stand-up comedy and and um, it was clean comedy at that time uh, in the early days of uh, Bill Cosby uh, was family oriented and you could not say certain things on that stage and they always told them that and uh, eyewitnesses that one of the jokes had went a bit too far and they went and they hauled him off the stage the police came hauled him off the stage they were there and said this is a family event. You can't be talking like that. Today, the the conversation, you got Christians, so-called Christians, with no shame about conversation. None. Have any conversation under the under the sun about any topic. Nothing's off limits. What happened? Where's the shame at? Where's where's the where's the shame and sorrow? What am I doing? See, see that ought to see that's to me. Living in a society where there's no shame, that scares me because I stand the chance of being a hypocrite and being a part of this society. If you're not careful, you will. You got to be very, very careful. You say you're a Christian, you better act like one. You better actually do everything that God has put in His Word and separate yourself from the culture that's in front of you. Is that going to be hard? Yeah. yeah, it's going to be hard. You might have to get it from the table and leave. You might not be able to have certain friends. There's certain people you're probably not going to be able to hang around anymore. Um, there's certain places you can't go on your computer. Um, there's certain things that you're you're not going to be able to post anymore because it's uh, vulgar and it's um, it's making people look at you in a different light. I mean, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody this morning. I'm just telling you, the climate, the climate in our culture is serious. So if you and I don't take this seriously and live according to what has been told to us, um, it's not going to put us in a very good place when we stand before the Lord. I, I truly believe that we need to, this, we better be taking this seriously. Go ahead. We went out to eat Friday night, and uh, I watched this couple pray. Before they ate their dinner, mm-hmm. and they also ordered a drink. Right. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. Yep. How people can do that. Yeah, and 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 it's it's that, and there's other 
depths and facets to it. You see, if we get into some of that, I don't know if, I don't even know if, if we're ready to have those conversations yet because I think the offense might be so high that, that some of us may not be able to handle it. And I'm just being honest. I think that, I, I love the messages that we get in this church. Pastor just puts us through the ringer with the things that God has given him. And <laughs> he said him too. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm glad you brought that up. The more it's eroded, the more people come, become less sensitive. Yeah. And then it just becomes a normal thing. And that's exactly what Satan's after. Just make it look normal. Yeah. Then he'll move on to something else that's worse and worse and worse. And, yeah. And it, before long, you've got absolute wide open public square sin going on. And yeah. That's what we've got right now. you got men and women's bathrooms. And, yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what we have. And it's like an all out. It's a training camp. Yeah. Yeah, like a concentration camp uh, in the form of brainwashing us to make us change the way that we view right and wrong. You know, what makes it so easy is going back to Paul's role when he said they rename stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes, it makes it a lot different. It makes it a lot easier to cover up the shame and to go back and they can justify their actions yes. by that renaming, which makes it a lot easier for everybody else to click right in. Much you easier to right in, so it makes it real easy. Absolutely. Um, I heard one time, and I was actually read this article about how uh, Coca-Cola is made. And um, they were talking about the amount of sugar that's in a Coke. And I think it's like 60 grams, 60 grams of sugar. <clears throat> and they show what 60 grams of sugar look like. And there's, they put that sugar in there, obviously, to bring flavor to it. But there's, there's another element to it. There, they put something else there. I can't remember the name of it. They put something else in there to blind the body to detecting the amount of sugar that it's consumed so you won't vomit it up. Because if you were to drink it straight, your your body would reject it. That's exactly what the enemy's done. He's like, well, I need to, I need to put this down in you. I'm going to give you some of this over here too where it doesn't agitate you as much. And it doesn't, it doesn't upset your stomach as much. It sits easier on you. Some of y'all never look at Coke the same. <laughs> y'all think twice about having that at lunch today, won't you? No, no. I'm, I'm saying that. I'm not saying that to cheer you off that necessarily. I'm, I'm saying that because I think that's a good example of where we're at in our society today. Um, rightfully, we should regurgitate. And I, and I hope I'm not saying that too obscene. We should be regurgitating a lot of stuff that's coming down the pipe. Like literally kicking it out and just... Spit that stuff out. That's disgusting. But it's been coupled and paired with certain things that make it easier to take. Just one quick example. This is a new one. This is a new one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Instead of child molester or pedophile, now you're a youth attractive individual. <laughs> now look at the look at the difference in the name. That's major. And it's also there's a group, a large group that are now attempting to get that legalized where it's no longer a crime. Yeah. That's where things go. Yes, I've seen that. Fighting, yes. Fighting that. So did you ever think that you live in a society where they were where they were trying to take away the crime of being uh, a pedophile? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you haven't thought that it's gone too far, then you haven't been watching. That is, and that's why the media makes sure that you don't get that kind of information in front of you. The media, to me, is the thing that makes it eat. You would spit it back up if they actually told you what they were doing. But the media keeps it calm in your stomach. 
That way you won't kick it out. Well, I mean, how many, like, even when I was growing up, sin that is okay now was disgusting when I, yeah. even when I, and I'm 26 years old, even six years ago, like, sin that is normal and in media was, like, disgusting and unheard of when yeah. I was in college. Yes. And, like, everything is being put out in the open now, like, with Balenciaga and all that stuff that's yeah. going on with that. Like, they are openly, like, um, that man who drew all those pictures, and it was about children doing all kinds of disgusting things, and they're putting that in their ads for everyone to see. Yeah, and it's it's just disgusting. And then they come out and they say, "Oh, we're sorry, we didn't realize that." You're Balenciaga, you're a million dollar company. It has to go through so many facets. There's no way they don't know what they're doing. Yes. So, and that's that's where we're at now. They want people to know how evil they are because yeah. it's not even a big deal anymore. Yeah, they're willing to put that out there. And that's yeah. the scary thing about it. That's the thing that should bother you as a church. That's the thing that should bother you. It's like they're they're encroaching. Yeah. And they're okay with encroaching. And so it only um, comes down to a standoff. I hate to say it, but it does. It's Okay, let me keep moving. We still got some more information covered. This is there's a lot of good conversation going on. This is good. Okay, um, Adam and Eve were out of touch with God, but their sin did not go unnoticed by God. He wanted them to take responsibility and confess their sin. Uh oh, confession. Instead of confessing, though, they placed blame on others. You remember how that went? Um, who who blamed who? You remember? She gave it to Adam. And then Adam said it was the woman's fault, and the woman said it's the serpent's fault, and everybody was casting. And, and the serpent didn't care. Yeah, you're, it's it's done now. So you you got to consider um, this as being a very very strong teaching lesson for us. Okay, con is confession important? Yeah, it's like the centerpiece of of the Christian belief system: confessing our sins. Confessing what we've done that's offended God. Confessing and saying, it was me, I did it, I was wrong. That's the, that's the thing about confession. Now, let me tell you another tr trick to, con to confession. In their situation, and, I, and I'm really glad that that's the, the teaching there because there was more than one person involved, which is often our situation when we do things that are sinful. It might involve some other people. The first Gut reaction when things don't go our way is just the point of the person sitting next to you. Spouses do this. It's like like hardwired. Like it was their fault. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. Well, I might have been responsible for a little bit, but I wasn't responsible for all of it. And and, and it's it is sad because when it comes to confession of fault, let me tell you this. This is the trick. In in every relationship that you have. This is the key to getting to the very root of it, is there has to be a confession and an accountability in totality, 100%. And what that, yes. And what that means is, is that you accept it and you put it all on your shoulders. All faults that had taken place, all wrongs that had taken place, maybe even the ones that you don't feel were your fault. Accountability says, it's okay, I'll take them. Put them on my shoulders. I did wrong. It was my fault. That's accountability. That is 100% accountability. Think about it, what a kind of a different world that you and I would live in if everybody actually took 100% accountability. That would be a completely different world. I mean, we, this would not be the same place. And so 
problems in relationships, problems in family, problems with spouses, uh, problems in the church, Christianity, government, all comes down to nobody wanting to accept accountability for what has taken place and transpired. Did he do anything wrong? He took accountability for it, though. He took accountability for it all. He said, yeah, you did it, but I'll take it on myself. I'll, I'll take it to give you a chance, to give you a shot. Now, you think of that's That's the perfect example of account accountability, Jesus going to the cross. Yeah. Perfect example of you and I not only confessing our sin, but taking account accountability for the actions that we have done that maybe either have wronged people in our lives, wronged ourselves, tempted others, tempted others <laughs> offended God. Church accountability is is oh it's so there's so much in accountability we could uh, pastor could do a message on it and I could do a message on it. we couldn't possibly cover all of the the aspects of accountability but I want to bring that to you this morning because I think our church as as a general general speaking in our church here and you as an individual we all need a good dose of the reality of accountability again we really do we need it you said something earlier and I was going to drop it you said you got to keep coming back. Yes. And that's the word will never go wrong. It will always lead you the right way. Yeah. But you've got to keep coming back to it. Yes. And it's it's hard, church. Listen, I know it. I know it is. Especially when you when you make the decision to be accountable for actions and things that have taken place, um, it's hard because it hurts. And uh, sometimes it's surrounded with embarrassment because some of the hardest things to do is to confess what you've done wrong and it's a flat embarrassing. Like, I shouldn't have done that and that was awful. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. I knew better than to do that, but I did it anyway. But accountability is not going to be easy, but you are going to have to be accountable for those actions if you want to get better. Yes. I've offended you. Yes, it's hard. Oh, it's hard. It's really hard when you weren't, you know, if, if you get something brought to your table, so to speak, that you didn't think that you did wrong. I didn't do that. I've learned this valuable lesson that when somebody brings something to you and says, you've offended me, don't quickly write them off in defense of yourself. There very well could be things that you cannot see about yourself that offend other people. And I think that we are, we're naive to quickly defend ourselves and say, I didn't do that. That wouldn't mean. I would never do that. Really? Sometimes we're so, we're so, it's so much in our nature to act certain ways, we don't even realize that we do it. And to me, when we realize what wrongs we have done, that's where, that's where accountability comes in, because that's when it gets hard. I didn't see that. I didn't see that the way I was acting, but I was doing it. Satan continues to tempt us. We are tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, 16. That's good stuff. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The craving for physical pleasure and the pride of being our own God draws us away from God and into sin. Man, there's so much right there. Oh, my goodness. 
Can we agree there's a whole lot of truth right there? The craving for physical pleasure. What does that entail? I don't know. You tell me. You tell me what it is in your life. And I, I don't mean that literally. Don't. But you probe yourself to find the end of that. Like, what is that really? Like, what is your list of pleasures that you like to engage in? And are those things contrary to God or are they pleasing to God? you got to ask yourself that question, church. Listen, you've got to do it. you got to ask yourself those questions. Because coming back to what we said at the beginning, um, the, the society we're living in is, is teaching us and programming us that unlimited amounts of physical pleasure are okay. And uh, one of the labels, I'll tell you this, one of the labels they'll get you under is, um, you know, if, you, if you're feeling depressed or if you're suicidal or if you're any of these things, you should do this. This will fix it right here. It's like we're willing, it's like we're trading one bad thing for another. And that concerns me. And, and I think that I've been through some pretty rough things in my life. I can tell you this for certain. I would, not, I would not tell you exactly how those things are to be handled all the time, but I will tell you that life is sometimes a lot about suffering. I'm telling you that. Man, I don't have time to really dive into this deep. I'm telling you that because we've been called to suffer for Christ's sake. Amen. And it, 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 and it doesn't always come in the form of persecution. Sometimes it just comes from flat suffering. Just flat suffering. It's like, this is hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Think about the road that you and I chose to hoe and the decisions that we made that landed us in this situation. And I think that sometimes we have this idea that there should be no suffering at all in our lives. Like none. Like the littlest pain. I got to take something for it. Or the littlest trial. I've been persecuted. They hate me. It's like any form of suffering at all, and people are absolutely abhorrent. And it's prevalent in our society today. Nobody wants to take a beating at all. And, and I go back to, look, before, before you, you know, if you're, don't be offended. Just go back <coughs> to the disciples. And these, these guys are getting beaten and thinking it's, it's, that they're being found worthy and they're celebrating because of it. Well, we sure have come a long way. That's different. I mean, guys are getting beat now. I mean, that's persecution, right? You and I don't know nothing about that. We, we ain't been, you ain't been beat. You have not been beat for your, for, your, uh, for your faith. And I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that I know what you're going through or what you've been through. I'm not. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, re-examine your life and make sure you're in the faith. Make sure you're there correctly. And let's make sure we're not, we're not diving headfirst into this, this lifestyle of pleasure because it can choke it right out of us. Okay. <laughs> I'm almost out of time. I spent all that time on like three paragraphs. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. God is loving, but if he did not punish sin, he would not be righteous. Now, that's important to know because... We always talk about fundamental truths in Rock Harbor Church. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that. If he doesn't punish sin, then he's not righteous. He said himself. He said it himself. He's righteous. 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. So, if he if he sets this standard, right? I mean, he set the bar pretty high, right? The bar is set for righteousness and holiness. It's set up. So, in turn, he has to punish sin because that's a part of who he is. But that's the part of that's the part of God nobody wants to talk about, though. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the God that's going to have that's going to pull out the bull, the bull's wrath. On the world, nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about how loving he is. He's just a good God. He loves me for who I am. That has went down a really straight path. Really straight path. And that God loves me for who I am. If you're willing to repent. If you're willing to repent. It's not an unlimited God that allows anything. Okay. Um, the first part of God's judgment on the serpent dealt with its physical characteristics. Some believe the serpent lost its legs as part of God's judgment. However, crawling on your belly and groveling in the dust probably indicate the powerless status of Satan after God's judgment. Well, the lesson kind of alludes to the fact that he didn't lose his legs possibly because of judgment. I've actually studied this, and they found in uh, a quarry outside of Jerusalem some of the earliest fossilization of the early serpent, and the early serpent had legs. Documented proof. Yes, they found it. Very interesting find, which would give clout with the location and the scripture that at one time the serpent did walk and did have legs. So I'm, I'm making sure that you understand that I am taking the scripture quite literal. There's good backing on that. Don't let the lesson this, this morning sway you off of this idea that there wasn't a judgment that actually resulted in a physical punishment. There was. Be why do I say that? Because God is serious about his judgments. <laughs> I think it's funny that the lesson talks about judgment on one hand and then almost dresses it down on another. I'm not getting on to them by any means, but I'm like, it kind of sends a different, the wrong signal. Does that make sense? God's judgments are true, and, it, and it, the Bible says he literally... You're going to crawl on your belly. And that was the judgment that the serpent was given. Go ahead, Pastor. Something else quickly in saying this is he can take any form of indictment. Yeah. From, from any form. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you need to know that. You need to make sure you keep that in front of you. That the things that, um, that you have put in front of you that look pleasurable may not always be the best idea for you to engage in. And I'm sorry for spending so much time, in, but there's just so much information there that we needed to cover, and we need to get that out, and I think that's good and healthy for you. It's good and healthy for me, and if you feel convicted or if you look at the, some of the things that I've said and you feel like your toes got stepped on or you feel a little bit offended, then it was good for you. <laughs> God bless you guys. Have a good service.